The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome to another edition of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I am your host, Ian Fisher, back at it again from Portland, Oregon, home of the best donuts in the country. I just finished three over the last couple of hours and am feeling pangs of regret. Uh, They were really tasty, though. Uh, That's neither here nor there. It's September the 8th, third day in what has undoubtedly been a short week for all of our listeners. I'm still playing catch up myself. And we finally arrived at the point where just about every senior is back in school. Uh, There's a lot that needs to happen between now and the end of the calendar year. And we're going to spend the bulk of our show today discussing a really important part of the college application process finalizing your college list. To do that, I'd like to open up our office hours and welcome two guests to our Schools in Application Workshop series. First, say hello to Julia Jones, former Brandeis admission officer and current admissions expert at College Coach. Hey, Julia. How are you? Doing fine, uh, getting over those donuts, but feeling pretty good. I'm I'm jealous, Uh, (laughs) I have to say. They sound amazing. (laughs) They were great. I made it in time for the jelly today, which was awesome. Um, And second, we've got Lori Peltier, one of our indispensable finance experts and a former financial aid officer at Becker and Anna Maria Colleges. Welcome, Lori. Hi, Ian and Julia. Happy to be here. Great. So, Lori and Julia, you are, of course... No strangers to the show, no strangers to the challenges in building a college list. And we've got a lot of time this afternoon. We're actually going to use two segments to talk about the list to discuss how a student might go through the process of putting it all together. And I'd like to try and help as many families as we can in the time we have. The way I want to do that is start with a hypothetical scenario. So let's imagine we have a student who's done very little college research to this point for whatever reason. We're not here to judge. Uh, Either they've been busy with summer work or uh, summer school, or they've been putting off their college research for the last couple of months. They're now in a position where they know they want to apply to college, but they know very little about where they should send those apps. So, Julie, I'd like to start with you. How would you recommend that students start their college research on a much more compressed schedule than is ideal? Right. Well, and it's a great question, and I think that, um, and it affects more students than, um, you know, than I think maybe we think, and, and it's, um, the good news is it's not too late. I think I, I sometimes, ta- you know, have students that uh, start working with me in the fall and, and are panicked because, oh my gosh, I really haven't done anything, and, you know, the reality is you can take a breath, um, a quick breath, <laughs> but uh, but again, there's, there's right. definitely work um, that can be done, and in some ways, you can take advantage of the fact that it is fall, and not only are high school students back to school, but college 
college students are back to school and, you know, and admissions officers, you know, fall is their recruitment season. So, you know, their main goal in fall, and I know, you know, you know this, Ian, from, you know, having done admissions too, was, you know, I was on the road um, from the first week in September until, you know, Thanksgiving talking to students. Sometimes I was talking to juniors and underclassmen, but the majority of my focus at that point was seniors, you know, trying to get that, right. get across, you know, to them what, what my school is about. So I think for students, it's, you know, the first step, though, is to think about, you know, the same thing that they might be thinking about at any point in the time of, of just what, what are their priorities? You know, what are they looking for? Um, sometimes, you know, having a, a little bit of a later start, you've had a little bit more time in school. So in some cases, you may have more of a focus. You may know a little bit more about what you're looking for. You may know what you want to study. So, you know, really thinking about what are the priorities, um, whether that's, uh, you know, major or um, you want to be close to home or you want to be um, at a big, you know, sports school, um, really understanding and having that, you know, taking that opportunity to, to really understand what you're looking for. Um, and then, you know, in addition to, to starting to research a little bit and by looking at websites, I, I do think that you can take advantage of the fact that, you know, colleges um, are, have a ton of information, a lot of opportunities to visit schools, and you can see colleges when students are in session. That's not something you can do in the summertime. So it's, it's also a, a really good opportunity to, to do that. And as I said, admissions officers will be traveling. They may be coming to your high school. They may be coming to do a reception in your area. They may be um, uh, even interviewing students. And, and really the whole, uh, um, their, their whole focus is getting, getting the word out. Um, and you can take advantage of that by, you know, once you start to identify schools that you are interested in, you can then... And, um, you know, see if they're going to be in your area. Most colleges will post their, you know, their travel schedules or where they're going to be uh, sometimes on their website. Um, or, you know, I always advise students, check your high school, your guidance office. They, if, if it reps come to your high school, they, those schedules usually are posted in the first couple of weeks of September. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can kind of identify schools that you might want to learn more about and visit, a, you know, and, and take a half an hour during a study period um, in, in, during the school day and listen to an info session about a college that you've, you know, maybe don't know much about or that, that sound looks good on paper. And this way you can kind of get to know the school a little bit more. Yeah. So, yeah. so in some ways it's, yeah, taking advantage of the, of the fact that it is fall and, you know, there's a lot of information out there, uh, sometimes better information than there might be in the summer. Yeah, I, I want to sort of underscore something that you mentioned that I think is really, really great and incisive, which is that at this stage, you might know less about colleges than somebody who started a year or two ago, but you know yourself better. You know better yeah. who you are, what kind of student you're going to be, what you're looking for out of your college experience. And so you may feel behind in that you don't know as many colleges, but you're not behind if you just sort of sit down and do some real serious thinking about factors that are going to be important to you because you're, you'll be in college a year from now. Whereas if you had started as a sophomore, it was still three years away and there was still a lot of development that needed to happen. So I like this idea of sitting down and really thinking about what your drivers and deal breakers and just priorities are going to be as you're going through this college selection process. That's going to really help you to know what to look for when you talk to college reps and go to college fairs and interact with people because you're, you know, you've got sort of your antenna up thinking about what are the things out there that are right for you. Um, yeah. Lori, 
Lori, I want to ask you about, you know, financial aid and how that comes into this process. I mean, it, things are a little bit more real. They're, we're, we're getting close to, you know, having to pay tuition bills and really thinking in practical terms. Um, but, you know, parents are also in a position where they might not know what the financial aid situation looks like for schools that their students are considering. How do we start thinking about family finances and how they fit into this research process in September of the senior year? Right. I was thinking as you were uh, laying out the uh, scenario, if the student hasn't done a lot of research at this point, I think it could go either way with the parents. Either the parents have a lot of money to spend on college and they're not concerned about the cost, and maybe that's why they haven't done a lot of research, or it's the opposite. They've got their head in the sand and they Mm. haven't even considered what it might cost and how they're going to pay for it. So so I think it could go either way for those scenarios. Um, I think there's, there's two ways. One is spending some time doing some research and understanding that there are three different price levels for college. There's in-state public, which is around $20,000, $25,000 a year if you live on campus. There's out-of-state public, which is about thirty-five dollars to $45,000 a year if you don't live in that state and you live on campus. And then there's the private schools, which can be anywhere from Forty-five. I've seen some up to sixty-seven thousand dollars a year now mm. for tuition fees and room and board. So, if the family hasn't talked about or even considered how they're going to pay for college, that could definitely affect their list because gotcha. <laughs> you know they're going to have to quickly decide what can we afford and where should we apply. That you know, are there any schools that we could afford without any help, or are we going to get any help? So, I think. The net price calculators on the college websites are helpful, and maybe you know doing that in conjunction. Maybe the parents do the net price calculator as soon as the student says, "Okay, here's five schools that I think I'm interested in. Let's see what it would cost for us if I got accepted to attend that school, and is that a price the parents can handle, or you know feel that they could borrow that amount of money?" This is, so this, I think, this triggers sort of a really interesting question that um, that parents and students ask me, both in relation to the colleges they want to go to from an experiential standpoint and in terms of financing. And the, the question is, how do we make sure we're not missing something? And that question from a student's perspective is, how do I know that I'm not missing some really great college that's going to be the best fit for me because I've never heard of it? And from a parent's perspective, it might be, how do we know that we're not missing the best scholarship offer out there. Um, Julia, what, what would you say about that question of, you know, how do, we, how do I make sure that I'm looking at the right schools, that I'm not missing something uh, in, right. from the standpoint of picking a school? Right. Well, and again, I think it does go back to, okay, you know, what are, what are the things that are most important and, and starting to really, um, to research those by, you know, and, and listening to, to, you know, to really understanding, again, what schools have to offer, getting on some campuses, sometimes even talking to, you know, your guidance counselor, people who, you know, know, um, know what other schools might be, you know, great fits and, uh, you know, that, that may overlap with some of the schools that you're looking at. So if you're interested, um, you know, in, in, in one school, well, well, you know what? That's uh, um, you know that's kind of comparable to to another school. So I think it's it's in some ways again taking advantage of the t- of the schedule and the calendar and knowing that you've got um, you know you've got uh, opportunities in your school, um, people that you can connect with that really will help you to understand based on what you're looking for and what your 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 priorities and your criteria are. You know what are the schools that you're um, you know that that might that will make sense. I mean, there's no perfect list, and I, I think that it's um, you know you but I think. 
think trying to find those schools and not not going not applying to twenty colleges, but but really trying to narrow it down so that you you know you may not have you may not apply to every single school um, that has your 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 major and and your criteria, but trying to find those schools that and identifying fit. Yeah, I, I can sort of think of a, a Netflix analogy with this. I, I spend yeah. half an hour to forty five minutes looking for the perfect movie to watch on a Friday night at Netflix, and you can spend almost the time that it takes to, to, to watch a movie, just looking for the movie that you're going to watch, mm-hmm. when if you just settled on something that you really would have liked earlier, then you're going to have a really great movie-going experience. I think this is a similar kind of thing with colleges. You're not going to have enough time to research every single possible school out there for you, but if you can arrive at a list of schools that are really great, that you really like, then you're in good shape. Um, Lori, what about you from the finance piece? How do you make sure you're not missing a school that might potentially offer you some really tremendous aid? Well, I think um, back to what Julia said about using the guidance office, the high schools will offer financial aid nights for parents. So I think that's important for the parents to go to just so they understand the process. If they, you know, don't have a counselor like College Coach provides, you know, the financial aid night at the high school will give them the information they need about applying for need-based aid and maybe some idea of what the high school offers for scholarships. The scholarships from the colleges are mostly going to come from your no-problem schools. So that goes back to building your list with a good mix of no-problem, just right, and challenging. And if finances are an issue and you want the best scholarships possible, you want to make sure your list is heavier on the no-problem schools. Yeah, yeah. So where do we go? For this kind of info, I mean, you're, you're talking about using the guidance office as well, but I think that, you know, you might also be anxious to do some work on the weekends to do a little bit of research. Maybe that financial aid night isn't for a couple of weeks. Uh, maybe, you know, co- no colleges of interest are coming to visit uh, my high school campus for a couple of weeks. What are some resources that we think that parents and students can use to start this research process right away, you know, this weekend, um, you know, from, from their own homes to help them advance this conversation and figure out what their list should look like. I think, you know, again, there's some really great online resources, um, you know, resources where you can at least initially start to just, you know, search by, by basic criteria, location, major, so College Board, um, Princeton Review, uh, those are, are really good sort of search engines where you can not only determine, you know, again, are these schools that fit just in terms of the basics, um, and uh, and also you can start to look at, at acceptance data and, you know, is this a, a fit for me, can I get in, um, and, and sorry, to compare those too. And then I think it's it's looking at the college websites. Um, a lot of times, too, colleges will have a virtual tour on their website. It's not a substitute for an, a, a visit, but at least you can get a feel for what does the school look like? Um, are there, you know, kind of doing some some work, and that's something you can do over the weekend at, you know, at 11 o'clock at night if you, you know, are so uh, so inclined. So it's, it's a little bit of, you know, again, doing some, some initial kind of recon to, you know, and then that might help to determine, okay, if I know that, um, you know, University of Maryland, the rep is going to be in my school um, on Tuesday. Well, you know what? I'll take a look on Sunday morning and see what their website looks like and see if it's worth, you know, getting, spending, um, you know, spending a little bit of time learning about the school. Is it, you know, does, yeah. does it have my major? Does it have what I'm looking for? I like that. I like that. And, you know, it's also sort of one thing that you can do as a student is start to make a list of questions of things that are really important to you. What do you want to know about a college? What would help yep. you to decide what the best place is for you? And then you can actually email those questions to admission offices or ask for contact information for a student worker in an admission office to get a perspective of a student that would be not quite a tour, but similar in terms of providing you with 
you know, a firsthand account of what it's like to be a student on that campus. Um, what about you, Lori? What about what are some good resources to help identify financial aid? Are, are, are there places you can go to get a sense of, of scholarships online? Or is that information generally hidden from the applicant pool? I wish there was a, a one-stop shop for scholarships, merit-based scholarships, but I do recommend the collegeboard.org website every day to families. If you're looking for data about, you know, what does it cost? If you want to just find what is the current cost of tuition fees, room and board, it comes from the College Board. It's very easy to find. And once you know where to find the information for one school, you can find the information for any school. You don't have to go searching through pages and pages of a college website because the colleges are not going to put their costs on the home page. Um, so the College Board website will have their cost. It will have what's required for financial aid. It will have the deadline dates for the financial aid applications. It has um, historical data of what their average financial aid package is and what the breakdown is, how much is grants and how much is loans, so you can kind of tell whether the school gives good financial aid packages or not. And then there is a tab for scholarships. Some schools don't put data there. You know, it's all a matter of what they report to the college board, but I'm finding that more and more schools are putting information there, like if they have a presidential scholarship for kids who are in the top 10% of the applicant pool, it will say, you know, that they have that and how much it is and how to apply. So at least it gives you some preliminary information so then you can go to the college website and maybe research their scholarships a little bit more. Good. I think that I think that's nice. And so we're talking a, a lot about really great ways that you can get to know colleges from where you sit. What about sort of visiting at this stage? If I'm a student that has no idea where I want to apply, is 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 there merit in trying to visit a college that is close to my house or doing some sort of a trip um, you know, within the next couple of weeks or should I wait? to see what my list shakes out and looks like before I go set, a, set foot on any college campuses? Well, I, I do think that um, you obviously want to look at, you have a limited amount of, of time and resources at this stage in the game. So, yeah, visiting right. every college is, is not feasible, even if you wanted to. So, um, and, and I don't think, but I do think that there is, learning about a school, that's probably the absolute best way to, you know, to, to really get a sense of, of fit. Um, and more and more schools, as I know, you know, that has been talked about on this, on this show before, you know, more and more schools are, are tracking interest, or, or not more and more schools, but quite a lot of them do. In other words, you know, they take into account that, um, you know, what your contact has been and, and if you visited, and sometimes that can be, you know, part of the admissions um, decision. So, um, so I think it's, it's sometimes good to at least not leave all of your visits till, till after you've applied and or after you've been accepted, um, but, you know, trying to understand, okay, maybe starting locally and seeing if there are, if there is a school, if you know you're applying to your state, you know, local college, um, definitely get on the campus. Again, it's, it's fall is kind of the optimal time in some ways to visit. The weather's yeah. decent. Um, it's, you know, students are just back, so they're not studying for finals yet. And, and I think it's, it's a really, you know, it's a good time to be visiting. And most colleges have open house programs, you know, events where it's not just you go and take a tour, but they have sometimes, you know, it's an all-day affair where you can um, have lunch with a student and meet with faculty and, um, you know, learn all different aspects of the school. So in some cases, I do think for a school that looks really interesting that you do have, you know, a real connection with at least from what you've researched online, and they happen to be having an open house and you can kind of work it into your schedule, it's, it's definitely worth 
um, with help. And you can learn about more about your list and yourself and, and again, helps to find out perhaps what other schools are out there um, and what other options. So it, it does help in the process, even though the reality is you can't visit every school um, yeah, and, in the state. And- Lori, is there any added value to a conversation you might be able to have in person in a financial aid office on a campus versus what you can learn online? And, and how might I get at that value while I'm visiting? Hmm, that's a good question. I, I would say unless, if you have a really unique situation, you know, uh, maybe one of the parents recently lost their job or they're taking care of a grandparent or a grandchild or something. So if they have a unique situation and they want to know how the financial aid office will handle that, then a visit is fine. Honestly, the financial aid office is not the type of place you just drop in and tell your story. Um, they're not, they don't really like that too much. It's, it's just uh, you can't be put on the spot like that. You know, no one's going to say, okay, right. I feel bad for you. Here's $10,000. But um, <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> I, I do think, you know, in open house, uh, when I was on a college campus as a financial aid director, I would have to present at the open house and talk about our process and our aid packages and everything. So if you can get to an open house where the financial aid office is making a presentation, and then sometimes they'll have office hours after for unique questions. Um, But just dropping in, I don't think you're going to find anything more than you would find on the website Um, or or in just the normal financial aid process. Um, I would say from my own experience, I live in Massachusetts. My daughter wanted colleges on the West Coast, and we just decided financially it was too much to travel to the West Coast to visit schools when we didn't even know if she would be accepted. So they were still on her list. She still applied, but we waited until she was accepted to go out and visit them. So, right, and I, I, yeah. Yeah, I think you've got to be sort of smart about how you do that, right? So it's, you're not going to probably travel all over the country just in a period of a month, but mm-hmm. if you can get to somewhere a little bit close by that, that maybe you're considering or that provides a unique opportunity that gives you some insight into college in general, I think that's worthwhile. Right. Um, yeah. So this is all a really good start. Um, I think it's a great opportunity for students and parents to begin the conversation if they haven't already. You know, we're talking about online resources, ways that students can sit down and really think about what factors are going to be important to them, how they can make use of colleges, whether it's through a visit or through some sort of contact at their high school campus or over email. When, we're, when we come back, um, we're going to take a quick break. Um, Julia, Lori, and I will discuss the next step after you've completed your research. So how you narrow that college list down to your finalists where you're actually going to apply. Uh, so don't go away. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. 
visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the program, everyone. Uh, Over the last two weeks, we've been running a back-to-school contest for our listeners and our Facebook fans. There's still one more day for you to enter, and entering is easy. Point and click to facebook.com slash college coach. At the top of our page, you'll find the contest post. Look for a picture of a sweet backpack and an insulated water bottle, headphones. Um, All you need to do is comment below the post asking us a question about college admissions or college finance, which we'll answer on a future show. Um, I've also been giving short answers to all the admissions questions right there on Facebook, so you can go and see what that conversation looks like. Uh, Tomorrow, Friday, September 9th, we'll select a grand prize winner of that backpack, Beats Headphones. 30-minute free consult with one of our admissions experts. So there's still time to enter. Um, And with that, we are back to the college list. Uh, Lori and Julia, if the first segment covered list building, I think it's fair to say this segment's more about list finalizing. So let's talk about how we go through the process of taking the contenders and narrowing it down to the final handful where we'll apply. Um, My first question to both of you is, what number of schools are we aiming for? Um, Is there a magic number? Julie, I'd like to hear your admission perspective, and then Lori, a little bit of how you might change that depending on different financial circumstances. So, Julia, where would you start? I I think, I don't know if there's one magic number, but I do think there's a range. Um, And I think when I work with students, I usually advise them, you know, think about it between like seven to ten schools. Um, and, uh, and I think for some students that sounds like ridiculously low. Some students it may sound really high. Um, yeah. and I think that it's, uh, you know, uh, the trend I think has been over the years that you get students applying to like 15 plus schools and, and that's kind of, um, you know, cumbersome and, and I, I don't think it's, it's particularly effective. Um, I think that if you're really looking at schools that are genuine fits, um, you know, for you that, that really match your priorities, match your interests, um, in some way, they don't always have to be the same <laughs> priorities. You may have different schools on your list for different reasons, but that they all really should be good, solid fits in some way. Um, it's, I think it's really hard, and I've, I've yet to find students who can find more than you know ten schools that that really are good, good matches. When you start to go beyond that, I really feel like you're adding you're adding schools because it's a name that you recognize, or you know, or it's it's got uh, it's got some some factor that that may not really have much to do with anything. So. So I think that it's, and I know we're, you know, there's some elements of balance trying to make sure that there are schools that that do have um, uh, different uh, selectivity, so that you're not all applying to all of your ten schools or not all reach um, schools or 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 all safety schools. I think you do have to have some balance in terms of selectivity. Um, But uh, but I and that but I think so. If you're doing even as few as seven schools, as long as you have a couple that I think are, are reaches where you're, you know, stretch schools where you're a little bit below the average accepted. 
applicant. Um, a few schools that we like to call just right, where you're kind of right on par with the average accepted applicant. So you have, you know, a 50% chance or greater of getting in. Um, and then at least two, and this is my deal breaker for students that I work with, you've got to have at least two schools that are no problem schools. And those are schools where you are above the average accepted applicant. Um, and, and so, you know, again, you have probably a 90% chance of, of getting in. Yeah, and, um, so and however you balance that, but you know, again, if if seven is two three two, or but you you have a you know you've got to distribute it between those three categories. That's pretty consistent with what I tell my students, and especially considering that time is a limiting factor here, and and the amount of time you have to be able to fill out all these applications at at high quality in terms of the the work that you're putting in, you know, more than ten is really hard to do, especially if you sort of sketch it out and take a look and see the number of essays you might have to write, or or you know the the number of additional pieces of content that you have to put together to apply. Um, Lori, what about you? How might that list change? Does seven to ten sound pretty good from a financial perspective, or or you know, would you advise fewer or more depending on a family situation? I would um, have different scenarios for different family situations. You know, if, if money is tight, every application can be as much as $75. Yeah. And then there's a yeah. fee for, for sending your SAT scores. So, you know, it can really add up quickly if you've got 10 schools. Um, you know, that's a lot of money. And then you're also traveling to visit those schools and things like that. Um, also, time, I think, is important, like you said. Um, I'll use my own son as an example. Uh, we worked with Julia, and we <laughs> determined that for him, Carnegie Mellon was a challenging school but had a great business program that he was very interested in. But then when he saw the extra essays that it required, and he knew it was a challenging school, and he knew he wouldn't get merit aid there, it was like, you know what, I'm going to take it off the list, because right. I'm lazy. But, um, <laughs> you know, so, so the list today. can be shaped a number of ways, you know, because of money, it can be because of time or effort required, um, and if money is an issue... Um, the safety schools or no-problem schools where the student has an above-average chance of getting in, they also have above-average chance of getting aid, uh, mm-hmm. merit aid. So if you really want to get the biggest discount possible, having maybe a higher ratio of your schools being in that category versus the challenging category would improve your chances for getting merit aid. Also, um, the other issue is having at least one safety school, one school where you know you can get in and you know you can afford it even if you get no financial aid or no merit. For a lot of families, that might be a community college or the local state school and living at home. But, uh, and it may not be urgent that you apply to that, but you never know. You're applying in October, November of senior year, but you don't actually go off to school until you know, the next August or September. So I'd hate to be a doomsday, but, um, you know, I said to my kids, you know, if something happened to mom or dad or you broke your leg or the house burnt down, you know, something tragically happened, where would you go to school? You're not going to go to California if something bad happens. You're going to stay close to home. So having that one no problem, safety, financially and academically, I think is important. I, that's really important. The way that you just sort of phrased that, I think, really sort of underscores this idea that it's about creating options, that building your college mm-hmm. list is about building potential options. And you don't have total control over all of the outcomes, outcomes in terms of whether you're going to get in, outcomes in terms of financial aid that's going to be available to you, and personal outcomes that you can't foresee, like the house burning down or having your leg broken, right? So we want to sort of think about how do you make sure that you've got a viable option, both in terms of 
finances and in terms of likelihood of admission that you can put on the table so that you can achieve your goal of, of going to an institution the following fall. And one of the things that I tell my students is, let's look at your list and let's think about you don't get into any of your reach schools and, and you get into half your just right schools and you don't get to decide what half. We'll choose randomly. Are you happy with what you've got here? Do you mm. see this as something that you're going to be excited by in the spring or do we need to try and figure out a way to give you some better options that you're more excited by on the half of the list that looks like it's a little more feasible you're going to get in, right? So everybody gets excited about those reach schools, and I know that that's natural. It's, you, you get that way, and it's totally fine, but you've got to also be pragmatic when it comes down to this and understand that the scenario might play out in a way that you don't expect, and controlling for that, I think, is about adding balance to your list. I think um, that's important, Ian. I just wanted to add, I've talked to many of families who had a school on their list because they knew it was a no problem and they knew that the child had a good chance of getting merit aid. Well, lo and behold, yes, they got accepted, and yes, they got an excellent merit aid program. It might even cost them nothing to go there. But the student then says, I would never go there if my life depended on it. So why bother to apply if there's no way you're ever going to go there? That's I've a seen great people question. apply to places yeah. that they would never attend. Right. And, and, and that it's not I think, just for financial aid. It's, it's really just, yeah, I mean, even, even if you're not looking for aid or, or merit money, but, yeah, if, if these are the only schools that you get into, it's, it's the same question that, that Ian, you've mentioned, you know, would you be happy? Would you be okay with that? Um, that's, you know, likely if you've balanced your list well, that may, not, that may not be the case, but, yeah, I think you have to really ask your question. Does every school on your list, you know, regardless of where it is, um, does, it, does it make sense for, for, you know, is it a school that you would want to attend. Yeah, and, and that your parents would be comfortable with you attending. I've, I've had a couple of situations where parents say, all right, we'll just put this school on the list. It's a reach school. He's not going to get in there. I, I would never pay for it, but I don't think he's going to get in. And then he gets in. And now it's March. And now you have to have the conversation, well, I'm not going to pay for that school that you're really excited by. So I think it goes both ways, right? And, yeah. and I think that that brings the emphasis to parents and students having an honest conversation about where are you willing to go as a student and what are you willing to help to pay for as a parent. And that's got to happen now, not in the spring. Um, yeah. Where do you, when, when you're working with a student, but both of you in terms of students that you're counseling, is, are there sort of things that you, you know, require that them to have? Is there some sort of essential quality that students need to have in terms of all the schools on their list? Is there, are they looking for something? I mean, Julia, you said places you might want to attend. Uh, anything else that you might add that students should be thinking about as they're finalizing that list? Well, I, I think it is, it is really, you know, it's going to be different for every student. And, and, you know, usually when I'm working with a student, I know them well enough at that point that, you know, we can say, okay, well, you said that you, you know, absolutely had to have a school that had a football team. Um, you know, again, that may not have been a deal breaker for me, but if it's a deal breaker for you, why is this school on your list if it doesn't have that? You know, are you going to be happy there? So I, I think that it's, it's really, it's understanding and revisiting that, that list of, of um, priorities and, and really making sure that, that, is, that, that these schools all have a purpose and a reason. And so, again, I, I don't necessarily know if there's one thing, but it's, it's, it's whatever that one thing or, you know, driver might be for, for the student that, uh, that, that, you, that you really want, that's a must-have for every college. 
I like that idea of revisiting, right? coming back and thinking about factors that mattered to you before. Because sometimes schools can sneak their way onto your list because your friend said it would be cool. And it, there's no justified reason based on all the research you've done that it should be there. So coming back and saying, all right, what are the factors that matter to me? And cross-referencing that school against those factors, I think that's really important. Um, what think, about you, Lori? What are, what are some I things think, that you would um, say? I think from a parent perspective, geography is a big one sometimes. You know, you'll hear... Well, my child's applying to schools on the other coast, the opposite coast, but I'm never going to let them go there. That's too far. Then why are they applying? <laughs> you know, right. obviously the student had a reason. They want to go there, but it's going to cause a lot of drama in the family if the student says, yes, I'm going to go. The parents don't want them to go that far. So I think that's another conversation to have is how far is too far for your child. Yeah. So, so all of yeah. these things, I mean, I think what you're hearing here is that cards need to be on the table. You know, you need to sort of see where things stand and you need to be willing to have those kinds of conversations early and often because they're not going to get any easier as time goes on. Um, and if you can have this open conversation, then I think you can arrive on a final list uh, as a family and balance is really important. Uh, you want to have some safety schools in terms of finance and admissions and then you go out and apply. So now the list is finalized. You know where you plan to apply. Where do you go next? What, what work needs to be done uh, immediately after you figure out what your list of schools looks like? Well, and that kind of leads to my homework for, uh, for, this, uh, the, for the session. So and, and basically my homework is, I think it was mentioned um, in a previous show, of you know, getting organized. And you know, it's, it's now that you've figured out where you're applying, you've got to you know, start to put together the when, you know, trying to decide, okay, am I, you know, what's the strategy? Am I doing early action? Are there any schools that I might want to consider early decision? What are the deadlines? What are the essays that I have to write? Um, again, as Lori said, that can that can sometimes change your list if you look at a, an application right. and say yeah no, um, so uh, so I think it's it's creating a spreadsheet or some sort of organizational tool that you know that you can list the schools on your that you all that you're applying to your final list um, and just kind of doing some research and putting together in one place uh, you know your roadmap for you know for the next uh, couple of months of what you, what you've got to do what the deadlines are what essays you've got to write and just getting it all and all of together I think that that's so it's not just the where, but it's the what and the how and the when um, of, of the application process now. And that might take you one to two hours when you start to draw it up um, to go out there and find all that information for every school. But from then on, it's going to take you 10 seconds to open up that yeah. document and look at all of that and information. Time so, so worth it and so well spent, I think, to do that and to, to get organized. Absolutely. Uh, Lori, what, what about you? What do, what do uh, people need to think about from the finance side once they finalize their list? Well, if they want to receive financial aid or scholarships, then they need to do the research on that. Does the school require the CSS profile form? Do they have their own institutional application? What is the due date for that? Um, do they have separate applications for merit aid, or is it just the application for admission that's going to be used? Uh, and sometimes it's rare, but there are schools that, in addition to financial aid applications, they have an application for merit aid that might have a separate essay or even an interview. So sometimes there's a lot of extra work to be a scholarship candidate. Um, and keeping organized, having it on the same Excel spreadsheet as the admissions data so you can cross it off. Now that the financial aid applications are available earlier in October versus January, a lot of this financial aid processing and applying happens at the same time that you apply for admission. Gotcha. So parents have applications to fill out just like students do, and, and you can both make sure that 
your kids and your parents are holding up their end of the bargain as you're working through this process together. Um, the one thing that I'd add on top of uh, Julia's piece of homework is that if you feel so inclined, I would recommend getting a calendar and drawing out a schedule of when you're going to work on all those essays. So once you've got mm-hmm. them laid out, then say, okay, how long do I need to spend on each essay? About how many words can I write each week and edit? <laughs> and then draw that out for yourself and be honest with yourself and stick to that schedule. Because if you're applying to 10 schools and they all have a supplemental essay, that's a lot of writing that you're going to have to do alongside your homework. So making sure you've got that all put together, I think, is really, really crucial in visualizing what this roadmap will look like through the end of the fall. Um, Any other final words or thoughts uh, on the college list uh, in, in the couple of seconds that we have left? I think it probably goes back to what I said in the beginning, which is, you know, you can take a breath. It's, you know, even if you've done, you know, haven't done anything or if you're, you know, worried because, uh, you know, you're not sure of your, your list that's almost final, it's, you know, there's still time. And I think, you know, again, you're, you're definitely, uh, you know, fall is, is the time when all of this starts to come together. So, uh, so I think it's, you know, take a breath, but don't, you know, take a nap. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and it'll, it'll happen. That's great. Anything from you, Lori? Um, I think that nowadays with the net price calculator, it gives families a much better idea of what schools they can afford. So don't go into it blind. You know, look at, you know, and be realistic. Do the net price calculator for each school in the list so you're prepared for that shocker in the spring of how much each school is going to cost after financial aid. Perfect. Thank you, guys. Um, We covered a lot of material today in our Schools In segment, uh, and thank you so much for, for your help. Thanks so much. Thank you. Uh, When we come back, we'll be taking a trip across the pond to discuss the Cambridge educational system. So grab yourself a spot of tea and join us after the break. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. 
VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. My final guest today is Zaragoza Guerra, former admission officer with MIT and Caltech and an expert in many different curricular offerings, among other things. Welcome to the show, Zaragoza. Thanks, Ian. Glad to be here. Yeah, happy to have you. Now, you know, I used to read international applications. I know you did as well. And, and usually I saw the Cambridge system come across my desk um, from countries like Singapore and Hong Kong. But something that's I think, um, even American listeners are starting to become more aware of um, the best place probably for us to start, for those who are unfamiliar, is just to define the Cambridge system. Um, most people know the AP system. Most people know the IB. Um, what exactly is the Cambridge system? Great question. So the Cambridge system is very much like an alternative to uh, an AP system or an IB system in many respects. Um, it's the curriculum that students use inside the UK to get into UK universities. So within the UK, you know, their high school system is a, set up a little bit differently than it is here in the States. You know, right. students start off um, in high school and they, they finish high school a little bit earlier um, than we do, or at least what they would call high school or, or their secondary education a bit earlier. Um, and then in order for students to then go on to university uh, studies, they'll go on to what we would call further education. And so they, they spend a couple of more years um, within another curriculum, which is probably the equivalent to what we would call the IB uh, curriculum here in the States or the AP curriculum. The equivalent of the sense that, hey, these are courses that you take. You can take an examination at the end of that course. And depending on how you do on that exam, you could possibly get credit in placement at a university. So if you are going to school in the U.K., uh, oftentimes if you are taking that, those A-level exams, uh, you know, uh, at, at the end of your Cambridge education, uh, you could get possible credit at many schools here in the U.S. So I think the wonderful thing about the U.S. system is that we're going to be taking students from all over the world, and so many right. admission officers are going to be familiar with a lot of different kinds of education. Um, and I, I'd probably say, you know, in terms of the Cambridge system, um, it's not just uh, an educational system that's set up for students within the UK. I, as you mentioned, hey, you're going to see it all over the world. So it's very much like an alternative international education. Uh, there are plenty of students who are going to take that kind of a curriculum in Hong Kong, in India, in, in all, all over the world, essentially. Um, and even here in the States, you're, you're starting to see some school districts setting up uh, a Cambridge-like um, educational system within their high schools. So, so you don't have to be worried as a student about unfamiliarity with this curriculum. There's always going to be at least a couple of people in an admission office who are going to understand the Cambridge system, and you're going to be able to be evaluated, just like students who take AP or IB. I think one question that a family might have as they're considering curricular options is whether schools have a preference for the A-level curriculum in the Cambridge system versus the AP or the IB. Is that something that you, you would see? 
I don't think an admission officer is going to have a preference for one over the other. So I think what's going to be most important for a student if they're considering alternatives to the Cambridge system or if they are deciding between going into the Cambridge system or going into the IB system or even going into an AP curriculum is decide what's best for the student. I mean, each of these uh, curriculums have pros and, pros and cons with respect to how a student learns and what the student wants to learn. Um, I would say, you know, the Cambridge system provides a lot of flexibility for students. You know, there are quite a number of subject matter that a student can take um, at the lower uh, secondary school level uh, of one's Cambridge education uh, in terms of, you know, most students are going to be taking, you know, six to eight, nine different subjects, okay, in a variety of different areas. Uh, when you advance um, in the Cambridge system, let's say you're now taking the AS and, and A levels, you're pretty much taking three, four courses for the most mm. part. So you can pretty much start going into a little bit more depth uh, with respect to the education. I think what makes it a little bit different is that it's, it's a little bit more writing-based. It's a little bit more deliberative um, in contrast to, let's say, an AP curriculum where you're taking tests that are a little bit more multiple choice, um, you know, in nature. Uh, in terms of the Cambridge exams and the kind of education that you're getting there, it's going to be a little bit, as I said, a little bit more deliberative. It's going to require a lot more uh, writing and so forth, especially in, in those examinations. And then depth versus breadth, I think, is an important difference. The IB curriculum, you know, full IB is six different subjects, uh, usually with an extended essay. And then there's also the theory of knowledge class. And the AP, you know, you're going to find that as a part of your normal school day, which is going to be six or seven different courses. So, you know, the Cambridge system is going to be much more focused on those, you know, three, four major areas that you choose as a part of that curriculum. Um, and this is something that you're starting to see more frequently within the U.S. that is starting to be offered by more high schools here. You know, it is starting to be offered here in the states. I I would say if you were to ask me, you know, ten years ago, most people would say Cambridge system mostly international. You know, you're going to see it outside of the states. Um, I would say you know some of the areas of growth in terms of the Cambridge system are happening probably in Florida, probably in, in Washington State as well. Yeah, Washington. Um, yeah. You know, Florida. You know, saw a lot of huge growth in the IB curriculum, so it's probably <laughs> not a surprise that you're also going to see growth in, let's say, the, the Cambridge system. When you're talking about it in the U.S., they usually refer to it as um, kind of the ACE program, uh, which stands for Advanced International um, Certificate of Education. So it's, it's kind of called the ACE program here in the States. So is there a really difference between between ACE and the IGCSEs or GCEs, um, is there a significance there or is it just a difference in the name? It's probably a little bit more uh, difference in terms of the nomenclature. I'd probably say uh, there's going to be a set of uh, pre-ACE, what we would call pre-ACE curriculum, which would be the equivalent of the IGCSEs, um, which is uh, a secondary um, educational certificates that one is getting uh, in the U.K., and, uh, you know, in, in places like Florida, you can, uh, if you're taking that curriculum, they're even going to allow you to take those tests uh, free, you know, at the end of um, grades 9 and 10. Um, and then you would move on to the ACE curriculum, which would uh, usually happens in grades 11 and 12. Um, and again, you can then take uh, uh, the, the, the test for, for free, and it might even qualify you for some scholarships in Florida. So it's, it's a great way to, you know, get advanced credit in places like Florida, as well as perhaps earn some scholarship money as well. 
Often when we talk about, um, you know, how we evaluate students, let's say in the AP curriculum, which I think a lot of people are are pretty familiar with, typically the grades are more important than the scores. You know, the scores matter, but here, you know, grades tend to be of significantly greater importance uh, than, than those scores. What's the sort of role of the exams in the Cambridge system? That it, are they more important than the actual grades that you get in the curriculum, and how do they enter into the admission process? Yeah, I'd say if you're looking at a student who is coming from the Cambridge system, who's an international student, uh, the expectation is that you are going to do well on those exams. Uh, the exams are given by you know, an independent third party, you know, someone outside of the school. They're graded by someone outside of the school. And so, you know, they, they tend to carry quite a bit of weight, um, I would say, with an admissions officer here in the U.S. So if I'm an, an international admission officer looking at students from uh, abroad who are uh, looking to study here in the States, I'm probably going to be relying a lot more on those uh, examination results. And that's probably going to be my focus. Uh, what did you take those examinations in? How well did you do? Uh, both on the secondary school level as well as on the uh, A, A and AS levels as well. Um, in, in terms of applying to schools in the UK with the Cambridge system, you know, many students are probably not going to have their actual A-level results. And so when they are applying to school, they are going to be using predictions for how they're going to do on those actual A-level results. And so uh, here in the States, when we are looking at international students, we're going to kind of evaluate them with those same expectations. And so we're going to want to see, hey, how did you do on your secondary school results? Then how did you do on your AS as well as, you know, your predicted A-level results? You know, what are your predictions like? And oftentimes an admission officer will base their decisions upon those predictions, as well as how they did on the actual exams that the student was able to take, uh, you know, in, in time. Yeah, so, I mean, it sounds like it, the exams play a little bit of a bigger role here, and it, does that sort of exam, I don't know if I want to call it pressure, but that, you know, it's sort of a primacy of the exam make a difference in terms of how a student might decide to choose a curriculum? You know, if you're looking at AP or the, you know, Cambridge system in your particular high school, uh, are there things that you might think about as you make that choice, whether it's um, your sort of talent with testing or your desire to focus um, or just depth versus breadth? I mean, how do you kind of make that decision? Yeah, I would say this. You know, it, it will come into play uh, to a certain degree, and I think that's probably going to be the case, especially if you're an, an international student. If you are a U.S. student who is, you know, deciding upon these different curriculums, keep in mind, hey, in the U.S., we keep track of your grades as well. Right. So it's not always, always about the examination. It's always about the grades as well, how well you did in high school. You know, did you turn in your homework? How are you doing throughout the school year? That's going to count for a lot as well. So I think it's going to probably be used um, in combination. Uh, with respect to an admissions decision, much like an admission officer is going to really take into account one's transcript and look at the transcript and see, hey, is the student taking, you know, the most challenging course load available to them? Uh, There are going to be some exams that uh, are going to be presented in the admissions process that might not necessarily be absolute requirements, but an admission officer is going to see. So, if you are a part of the AP curriculum and you're taking some AP exams, 
that's probably going to be a part of your admissions record. And even though those might not necessarily be required with respect to admissions per se, an admission officer can't unsee that. You know, they're going to see how well you did not only in the classroom, but also on those independent examinations. So if you are a U.S. student inside the Cambridge system, it's probably going to be viewed very much the same way that an admission officer would view the AP exams. Hey, we're going to have those grades that you did in high school, but we're also, we can't, also can't unsee how you did in the exams as well. Gotcha. I think that's, that's really helpful um, and would encourage others, you know, if you're thinking about this curriculum, do some further research, have some conversation with your counselor in school to think about what the best fit is, is going to be for you. Um, Zaragoza, thanks a lot for coming aboard the show today and, and adding some uh, clarity. It's, it's great to learn a little bit from you as well. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Take care. Awesome. Uh, folks, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, one final reminder that our Facebook contest closes within the next 24 hours. So please get your questions posted to our Facebook page if you'd like to enter. Next week, Beth Heaton returns to the show for the first time since August 4th. If you've been missing her radio voice as much as I think you have, you'll very much enjoy her return to hosting duties next week. The big topic of conversation will be student loan debt and development of a repayment plan, an important topic for prospective students and recent grads of college. Um, Beth will also be continuing our workshop series with more application advice, so you won't want to miss it. Uh, Thanks again to all of my guests for their time and expertise. No matter what anyone says, summer hasn't ended just yet. So enjoy the sunshine and fresh air this weekend, wherever you are. Fall can wait a little bit. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. We'll be right back.